Justin, what is going on, my man? Saul, I just want to say happy holidays. Today, the day that we're recording this podcast is national or international podcast day. It's our first international podcast day, Saul. So cheers to you, my friend. First one in the books for the Total BS podcast. I, I had the preemptive eye roll because I definitely thought you were going to talk about the Lakers today, which was <laughs> another holiday for you. So we'll just go ahead and get started and ignore what I just did. And once again, you can always subscribe to us on YouTube, Facebook, and listen to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon. We're in India. We're worldwide, baby. Did you know that, Justin? (laughs) We're in India. (laughs) We are. We are in India. (laughs) Somebody listened to us in India? Oh, hell yeah. We got like 10 (laughs) listeners in India. I don't know if you knew that. But the analytics tell that. us that we are worldwide, so we are going to run with it. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> but today we have two very special guests joining us on the Total BS podcast. Uh, they are uh, producers and they have directed this, the most recent HBO documentary airing October 7th. It is called Wild Card, The Downfall of a Radio Loudmouth, uh, again on HBO. Uh, and here's a sneak peek. <laughs> Everybody. For 10 years, I was the morning man in the city I grew up in. It's Boomer Esiason and Craig Carton on The Fan. It was the number one morning show in New York and in America. If you want to go into it, let's go into it. But not today because I got other people who want to talk and you're boring me. Goodbye. Craig comes from a line of shock jocks talking about the games and who to bet. What am I, like five years old? How do you make picks not with a spread? He was the crazy, zany radio guy. And then you had the common sense athlete. He was the fire starter, and I had a playoff of him. You have 500 other choices on the radio. Guess what? You listen to me. The listeners didn't want to miss what I was going to say next. If you gave me 10 grand, I'd guarantee you 25,000. I won $80,000. As it's turned out, that was the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm now the Blackjack Whisperer. So I started to get approached by the people who wanted to know if I wanted to be in business with them. I had no idea how much he was gambling. I borrowed over $30 million to gamble with. I had no idea that anybody was contacting him. I thought I was the best, and I didn't think any casino could beat me. I won $325,000 in like nine minutes and walked out the door to go to work. He would hand me a knapsack, and inside was a million dollars. He was out of control. Falling apart. If you lose their money. This isn't good. Only ends one way. I took 950000 for gambling. Can't take money for one purpose and use it for another. That is fraud. We had the world by the balls. He ruined what we all had. Craig Carton has been suspended. Boom. This afternoon, a jury convicted Craig Carton. Uh, joining us today are the producers Martin Dunn and Marie McGovern. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Thank it's you. a pleasure. So, if you're international and worldwide, and you can tell that you know I'm not from the Bronx, so yes. will my uh, will all my family and everybody be able to hear this over in in the UK? You have oh, access absolutely. to our whole library. <laughs> Fantastic! How great is that? How great is that? So, Saul, 
India, and now the, the UK, UK, baby. There we go. That's okay. it. We're spreading the world, baby. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, again, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Justin and I had the opportunity to take a look at the, the documentary, and it is very, very good. Uh, but, you know, first, obviously, the, the most obvious question is, is why? Why why this documentary and what, what made you go down? This is also the second New York-based documentary you've done in the last two years, correct? That is true. We did uh, Tom, a documentary on Tom Seaver. And Marie? Well, actually, uh, Seaver, we spent a lot of time out in California, uh, out in Calistoga with him uh, at, at their place. Uh, so that, that was a kind of a, a California-based, but with the New York uh, Mets hook, definitely. But um, with, with Carton, um, Carton is a universal story. Carton says story is one of uh, working your way to the top and having a great fall, uh, a very public and spectacular fall. And I think that that's a story that will interest just about everybody. And how it came about is um, about five years ago, six years ago, we had an idea for a, a sports talk show. And um, we never met Craig, but we approached him to see if he would like to be the face of that, that program. And so we oh. met him. And uh, we sort of got on up great with him. We did a, a sizzle reel. We pitched the show. It didn't go anywhere, but we sort of stayed in touch with him a little bit. Our paths crossed. And then completely out of the blue, we were blindsided when um, in 2017, mm -hmm. uh, Craig, it was announced that Craig had been arrested by the FBI. And um, Marie just sent Craig a note and said, look, you know, we know what it's like being in the media spotlight. We're both newspaper journalists uh, by profession. If you ever want to have a chat about it or have a bolt hole in our tiny little office to uh, get away from the pressure, just give us a call. And all reach these, out as a friend. That's and all he said was, thank you. And that was pretty much the last we heard from him until January 2019, right? That's right. Yeah. And he literally gave us a call out of the blue and he said, uh, we had just gotten a little bit of press um, that Seaver was going to be released and airing on Fox. And uh, he said, the Seavers are notoriously private people and they don't like to uh, talk to folks too much. And if they trusted you to tell their story, then I think I can trust you to tell mine. And so that's really how it, it all happened. He knocked on our door, our our humble little door here uh, in uh, January of 2019 and sat down and began to tell us the story of his secret life and his secret gambling addiction. And for four hours he sat with us and, uh, and just talked and, and our jaws were literally hitting the desk. Um, we, even though there'd been stuff in the newspapers about what Craig had allegedly been up to, the extent of it hadn't been revealed at all and he just he just went through the whole thing, I mean, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers, the helicopters and at midnight, uh, you know, the casinos and wiring money and duffel bags filled with cash. I mean, it sounded like something out of a, you know, out of a James Bond film or something, but <laughs> um, indeed it was all true. Yeah, and that was between, that was, that was after he'd been convicted, but before he'd been sentenced. And uh, so, uh, Craig just said to us, you know, if it, you know, I'd love you to tell the whole story. I want you to tell the whole story. I want the world to hear the whole story. And um, we had some connection with HBO. They they considered our Tom Seaver documentary. So we called up HBO and said, um, are you interested in this? And and they leapt on the opportunity. So that's how the that's whole awesome. thing came about. 
when you spoke to Craig, you said your jaws were hitting the floor. That's actually in my notes for this interview was what was the most jaw dropping moment uh, when you talked to him? I, well, I think in the initial, in the initial conversation we had with him, um, the extent, depth and size and scale of his gambling addiction. I, you know, we say in the film, um, he took, he gambled with uh, $30 million that had come from various lenders. That is a pretty jaw-dropping number. Um, and, and also the, the subterfuge, I think, that he carried out, the fact that he could um, wait for the family to fall asleep, uh, get up at midnight, jump on a helicopter, gamble for two or three hours, then be back in the studio at 6 a.m. and do a show like nothing had ever happened. I mean, that, to me, the, that sort of... Um, level of, uh, of subterfuge was extraordinary. You know, it's what's kind of crazy about sports um, and, and celebrities and the spotlight life is is that you get two personalities with a lot of these people. Is you know, you get the one in front of the camera, and when they're on air, and then you have the one that's behind the scenes. And so many of those instances, what you see on TV is not exactly what you get in real life. Uh, when you spoke to Craig and even five years ago when you approached him, um, how how impactful was it to tell that side of the story as well um, in your documentary? Because you highlighted it quite a bit at the beginning of it. Oh, definitely. I mean, well, Craig, everyone always said that Craig's on-air personality was an act, right? But, but I think there's also a, a, a good portion of your personality that is who you are. Uh, but I think in those those years prior, um, he was the, the two worlds were starting to blend a little bit, and I think the lines were starting to blur. I mean, he was at the height of his career. He's paired up with Boomer and They're number one in the market, and you know they're the place to go to for any celebrity, any major athlete, any big story. And so he was really enjoying the highlight. And I think he was kind of starting to believe his own press for a little while. And I think he was starting to um, perhaps uh, just submerge himself in that fantasy world of being the radio star uh, a little bit too much. Yeah, I think as Boomer says in the, in the film, you know, Craig had this vision of being a, a, a huge media brand. And uh, I think to a certain extent, he got a little bit, a little bit carried away with that. Do you think, uh, you know, obviously, like, sometimes with these things, um, you know, he, he had a lot of trauma early on in his life, and he he hid that. And you guys, you know, talked about that at a great length. But because of that, you know, there's like this chip on his shoulder to prove so many things throughout the course of his life. Any concern maybe moving forward? Because uh, I know that there's the potential of him um, jumping on to another radio station here or there, um, which is currently going on. Any concern that he might lose a little bit of that edge when he comes back to radio because he does he's no longer harboring those, those bad feelings? You know what? I, Craig has remained the um, sarcastic, acerbic, quick-witted guy that you or his fans have come to know and love on air. Um, and, and 
Craig has said that I'm good at one thing. I'm good at hosting a radio show. He sucks as a businessman as he's <laughs> I think everybody else knew that ahead of Craig, unfortunately, but he has kind of finally come to that own realization. And um, I think he, he will come back and be the entertainer and be as entertaining. But to Martin, Martin always makes a good point about that. Yeah, I, th I think there will be there will be an element of empathy that he didn't have before. I don't think you can go through what he's been through, which is to be absolutely at the top of the mountain and then go all the way to the bottom and then suffer the indignity of being in prison for uh, a year. And have it all done in the public eye. And have it all done in the public yeah. eye. I don't think you can do that and not be changed. And I think one of the things that comes out in the film, I certainly hope so, is that you see at the end when we interview him post prison that there is a difference in him. There is a, there is much more an acceptance that his actions impact other people. Um, I think pre prison and pre this whole episode in his life, I don't think he ever considered that what he did, what he said, how he acted, uh, impacted other people. Yeah, they could have all lost their jobs that day. You know, there was no reason for WFAN to say, that's it for Boomer and Carton's show and everybody around it, and you're all out of a job now. And that never occurred to him uh, before. And uh, then post-prison, all of a sudden, you see that kind of the light bulb goes on and he, and he got it. What was the first big domino that fell into Craig's gambling addiction at a monumental level because when he was a kid, there was a story about the bike and then somewhere in the documentary, Don Imus and his awful comments on the air, which then gave Craig a shot to host the morning show. Like after talking to all these people, including Craig, what do you think was the biggest domino that led him down this path? Well, I mean, they, they talk about the infamous boomer bet where, um, he borrowed money from Boomer Esiason. Had the bravado. Well, he didn't borrow money. He well, he, he, he took he took money from from Boomer. He flipped said, it. I will double yeah. your money, or more than double your Who money. Who wouldn't have taken that? And as he as he says, that then opened the door for other people to offer him money and say, "Do the same for me." Now, I think most of us would take a step back and say, look, you know, this was the thing I did for Boomer, who is my yeah. business partner. He's the guy I've worked with for 10 years. I'm not going to do, yeah. I'm not going to do anything stupid. Um, I don't think Craig's filter was quite engaged properly at that particular time. And so once you start borrowing money at that level and have a self-belief that you are a better gambler than any than than anybody else in America, I think that is a very very slippery slope, and that's what started this whole cascade downwards. I mean, you know, Craig was always a gambler, and thank you for watching the film. We appreciate that, and his father did corroborate that story, by the way, too, because we asked uh, about the bike. Um, but but I think. To your point, Justin, a very good question is what really was that tipping point that sent him over the edge? And it's and it was that boomer bet because all of a sudden it never occurred to me either that people would be calling up and saying, I have five hundred thousand dollars I'll give you if you can guarantee me five hundred and fifty thousand dollars next month. Um, and Craig then went from gam they always say you should never gamble more than you can afford to lose. Uh, well, Craig was doing that, I think, all along, but then all of a sudden he started getting these investors to come in and then it just got so out of control. And the money, 
you know, you lose you lose two thousand dollars. That's one thing. You lose two hundred thousand dollars in a night. Then it's not so easy to make up. Justin loses two dollars on a bet, and he's already crying. So trust me, I'm, we know. I'm, I put five on the Lakers, and I lose it. And I'm just like pulling out my hair. So uh, what I like about the documentary too is is that obviously we know that that trouble is ahead from the very beginning because we wouldn't be doing a documentary if there wasn't any type of strife or conflict, right? Um, but you guys set it up in a very you kind of slow played it to a degree in terms of when he actually gets busted by the uh, the FBI. Um, in what I called the come to Jesus moment, um, you know, and, and I just loved how you how you laid it out. And, you know, three thirty in the morning, he's coming out of his apartment, getting ready to go to work. And here comes the FBI agent up the stairs to asking him questions. And um, when when Craig talked about that moment, um, I know I, I've met several people that have had that moment themselves when they realized they were in trouble. And that was it. Um, how, you know, emotionally. How did he he really explain and describe that moment to you guys um, as it was happening in real life? He was beyond stunned. Well, right? I think, you know, he, he uses that phrase. He said, this is surreal. This can't possibly be happening. And I think that's something that everybody can relate to. Like uh, this, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to work. I'm, I should be on air. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm sitting in the back of, of a car, you know, heading to FBI uh, headquarters, and I imagine it was probably all like a very bad dream. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that you always think happen to other people, not to you. And I, I cannot imagine what it must do to you to suddenly see someone come towards you and hold up the FBI badge yeah. and say, you know, are you Craig Carton? And of course, you know, I said, I said, come to Jesus, but I meant, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and like you know, he's walking down the stairs, and somebody says, "Are you Craig Carton?" His natural reaction is, "Oh, another fan." You know, even though it's three o'clock, uh, three, nearly four o'clock in yeah. the morning, and when that badge comes out, that is that must be absolutely heart stopping. He he really he said that was his day of reckoning, and he will never experience anything like that. The humiliation of it. The, the not knowing what was going to happen next, the fact that you're stuck and, and handcuffed in a room for four hours, um, not knowing what's going to happen, not able to reach out to anybody, not even be able to tell the guys at FAN what's happening. Right. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually, is to be able to lay that out and kind of give everybody um, the global view of what was going through everybody's head. You know, who knew it was Governor Christie's birthday that morning and he was supposed to call in? You know, all of these little behind the scenes, uh, little factoids that we were able to bring together to kind of create a real picture of just the kind of craziness that was going on that morning. Yeah, I mean, the chaos that must have been happening in Craig's studio when, and I think Boomer says it best, when the program director comes into the studio and said, don't say anything, don't say anything. And Boomer goes, what do you mean, don't say anything? The talk show host who is supposed to be talking with me has been arrested by the FBI. You know, I've got to say something. And the chaos that must have been roiling around um, WFAN at that, that morning uh, was extraordinary. But of course, they still have to keep doing the show. Yeah. And they did. When, and you're the, the top radio host in the largest media market in the in the entire country. And when something like that happens, it's going to be a media circus. And that was one thing that I, I took away from the documentary was Boomer's reaction to watching 
Craig walking out with his hood on and reporters were just swirling around him trying to get anything out of him. Do you remember watching that moment in real time? Well, I was a big fan of Boom McCartney and I was driving in that morning because I always used to listen to them. Um, and obviously he wasn't on. But of course it took the show quite a while to actually, for Boomer to make that announcement, right? And then... Right, and then, and then by the time um, he was arraigned and he walked out of uh, federal court at uh, 500 uh, Pearl Street over here and, and being veteran Daily News uh, journalists, uh, I, I mean, I knew all of the folks that were in that media scrum and we knew all of the photographers that were there and we were, that's something that we would have been right in there uh, with years ago uh, had had we not uh, left the news and started our own company. So uh, it was something we were very familiar with. And that's part of the reason why we reached out because we know how brutal it can be. And even Craig said, I had no idea. You know, I had no idea how big the show was. I had no idea how, like you said, Lord of the Flies, like they were in my face. And um, it's a pretty uh, harrowing place to be. I wouldn't want to be there. But one thing we can tell you, and this, this can go into the file for if I ever get arrested uh, <laughs> box, right, for, for, for future reference, uh, Craig said to us, and I, it, it's not in the film, but he said to this, he said this privately, he said, the one thing I regret when I came out of court was pulling my hood up. <laughs> he yeah, he's said, like, I look stupid. I pull have done your, that. Don't pull your hood up when you come out of court because it guarantees to make you look guilty. So when yeah. you two get arrested, just <laughs> keep the hood down. And keep the hood down. And we will reach out to you and offer you shelter <laughs> and, and advice. So as long as you do the same for us. If you I got you. I got it. We got you. We got it. We definitely will not publicize that on our podcast. How about that? <laughs> um, you know, your, your style and documentary style is a little bit different, um, and especially at the beginning of, um, I, I saw a little clip from Seaver uh, and as well as this documentary, um, you have an intro from that person's point of view to a degree. And, and I like the, the, um, the narration, um, if you will, you know, and you had Craig do that in, in this one where he just was like, you know, we were on top of the world and blah, blah, blah. Um, why, why that style? And, and how did you, do you think it differentiates from other documentaries that have been done in other sports and in other um, uh, endeavors? Well, we sort of considered the idea incredibly briefly that do we need a narrator to come in and tell the story? But, you know, when you've got a guy whose life has been 30 years on the radio and does nothing but talk for a living and you put him in front of a camera, nobody's going to be able to tell the story better than he can. Right. And also, we were very lucky, I think, very fortunate in that many of the people that we interviewed are also in that world, the world that, you know, that we're all in, and have the ability to talk um, very sort of candidly, very openly, um, very compellingly to camera. There, there aren't many, you know, a lot of people in life who will just freeze the moment they see a camera in front of them, but these guys didn't. And so, therefore, the film sort of took on a life of its own, didn't it? It, it, it evolved naturally, really. And we had spent quite a bit of time with Craig um, after he was sentenced uh, in April, but before he went to jail in June. Um, we kind of embedded ourselves with him uh, over two, two months, I guess, two and a half months. Um, and we literally just, every time he had something to say, we'd turn on the camera and we'd sit down and we'd just record. 
did he ever mention you know i mean he got he got arrested initially uh in september of 2017 and then he didn't even get convicted or, or sentenced until almost two years or oh, two years later essentially um did he talk about like the weight of of that whole period of time in between the two he, he'd said um and it, i mean his attorney sort of assured him and craig says you know the constitution guarantees that you're allowed a quick trial he said you know try and find that in practice um in that that was a very i think that was one of the toughest times for him because he knew something was going to happen to him, but, you know, it was just a wait, wait, wait for it. And to a certain extent, when he went to prison, I think he, he sort of felt relieved because, as he At said to us, still... it's the first day of getting through yeah. what I've got to get through. Right. So I think... Well, essentially, it's all over, right? Like, you're, you're done with the bad part. Well, it's and certainly start, it starts forward. to be over, yeah. And yeah. it had to have been very painful for him to sit there at home knowing that you know the boomer show is going on and and you know life goes on and there he is he's kind of this ghost you he's know in limbo, stuck yeah. in between totally in limbo. two worlds i mean that had to have been incredibly painful for sure now another uh chilling part of the documentary and it gave me goosebumps like it, it made me really uncomfortable watching it was when he went to the ski lift and 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 he contemplated uh, suicide, and then it shows the camera on the, the what, what's it called, the high rise or the the lift or the lift, okay. the lift. Yeah, he yeah. kept calling it the uh, the lift chair, but it's actually the, the lift chair. chair. <laughs> yeah, the, um, but seeing like setting up the scene and kind of showing it from his perspective, and then him talking about, and then I lifted up the bar, and I was having a conversation out loud with myself, and I just kept inching closer and closer to the edge and then it took one phone call to his show producer and that guy calmed him down and and essentially saved his life hearing that story as directors and producers what was that like well although it pains me to do this i have to sort of congratulate my 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 partner here for, for, <laughs> for getting us into that story when we first met Craig in uh, 2019, beginning of 2019, before we actually started shooting the documentary properly, um, Craig had been talking about gambling to us and said that um, addictive gamblers have one of the highest suicide rates in America. And when we started doing the proper interviews at his, at his home before he went to prison, um, during one session, Marie just recalled that conversation and stuck the question in. And it really took Craig by surprise. Look, look, you guys do this for a living. Craig does this for a living. You can anticipate many of the questions that you're gonna be asked. So to a certain extent, I think Craig knew a lot of the themes that we were gonna be talking about. But when Marie asked that question, Craig just went, I never saw that coming. It was originally in the film where we had him say you know, that. I never saw that coming. coming. I never saw that question coming. And then it took him I don't know, it seemed like an eternity to decide whether he was going to share that story or not. But in the end, he did. To his credit. He did. And he, he told us that story. And then subsequently, we met with his producer, who told exactly the same story from his perspective. And so we managed to, to cut the two together. But it, 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 it took us aback, I have to say, because of all the people that we ever thought yeah. would be capable or consider doing something like that, 
he would probably be at the bottom of the list. Well, you know, it's, it, what's kind of cool about that also, it, it kind of gives you a glimpse on how he probably dealt with life as well, right? You, you talk about, um, you know, all these things that he was suppressing inside. And so he has this moment of vulnerability to his producer. And then at the end, he's like, all right, fuck you. I'll see you later. Boom, done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, he, and he pushes it all back down. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's, it's it's great that you caught that. Because that is that's so typical, Craig. And I love Sherrod's line in the beginning when he says, you know, there's a lot of angles to that guy. There's Craig, and he's nice, and he's timid, and he's this, and he's that. And then there's Carton, and he's an asshole. You know, and I just love that line. So, and it kind of does wrap it all up in one sentence for sure yeah speaking of wrapping up um again thank you so much for joining us today on the total bs podcast wild card the downfall of radio loudmouth debuts october 7th next week on hbo uh, congratulations on the documentary hope it does very very well and incredible uh, doc yeah absolutely and thank you so much for joining us plugging this in the or i'll be plugging this in the uk now that's what i'm talking about man yeah worldwide worldwide. (laughs) like like prestige worldwide baby (laughs) all right thank you so much and best of luck thank you marty marie thank you well, that was that was fantastic. Thank you so much to those two for joining us. It was uh, enlightening, and I love the the aspect and the personality um, that they give this documentary. Obviously, outside of the documentary itself, because I think it it's um, much needed when you're talking about the complexities of a case and of a situation like this. Mm-hmm. And it's a harsh reality for for a guy like Craig Carton because he had it all. And that's one thing uh, that you brought up, Saul, at the beginning of the documentary is he talked about how he was the most listened radio show in New York. He was one of the top radio shows in the entire country. He had a huge fan base and he was living not a double life, but more of a triple life. He said, I I had my radio career here. I had my family over here. And then I gambled in the out wee hours in the morning all night. And then I would just go and live my life as if nothing happened. And when I watched and heard him talk about living that triple life, I wondered, how does this man sleep? Does he sleep on a helicopter? Like, how does this man have the energy to just completely live his life the way he's living right now? It's, it's almost like um, you almost start to feel like he's living in fear. You know what I mean? And fear is a great motivator. It'll get your ass up in the morning. You know what I mean? And and the fear of trying to overcome this massive amount of debt at some point, you know, caused him to travel to Atlantic City so many times in the middle of the night and fly back. You know, I thought that was the, kind of the coolest. I was like, man, I didn't realize it was like that. You yeah. know, a, a, a radio jockey essentially um, flying from New York to Atlantic city and back like that's like G level stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what? And when so, he kind of had to, because you know, Atlantic city is two and a half hours, away. two and a half hours. And one of the guys, uh, I think it was one of his producers said it like you're spending five hours each day traveling just to do an to, hour of gambling, just to gamble. Like what's yeah. the point? So he said, you know what? Bet. Bring in the chopper. Let's go to Atlantic City. <laughs> Bring in the chopper. <laughs> Dude, also, by the way, can we just say this out loud? Atlantic City is a dump. <laughs> I've never been. Oh my God. I went there one time, okay? 
this is back in 2008. I went back there, um, and uh, I was I was I was in New Jersey, which also dump. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and we decided uh, as a, I was in the military and, and our group was like, Hey, what are we going to do this weekend? Let's go to Atlantic city. So we went to Atlantic city and I've been to the Bravada casino, which is crazy. And we get to, we get to, um, Atlantic city and we went to, um, uh, Caesar's palace cause they have a Caesar's palace in Atlantic city. I didn't know that. And, um, and it's right up there against the shore and, I kid you not, I saw like three heroin needles on the shore that had washed up. And I was like, man, this is just like the movies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a It's Always in Sunny Philadelphia uh, episode oh. where they where they go to, to Jersey Shore. And it's just, I'm sure it's just a complete dump. Absolutely. But, you know, going back to this, you know, I, I thought um, a couple things in the documentary that we didn't bring up with her uh, or with them is number one, um, just the the narration and and the things that he was talking about um especially like writing in prison um even the the small little detail of prison meals which i thought you know he's talking about, well they yeah they get they get a meal at 10 and they get a meal at three so they only get two meals a day which is crazy two meals a day and so then they have to live off a of commissary uh the rest of the time and he was talking about making this like ramen fundido soup thing um which <laughs> you know you gotta leave. The- you gotta leave the Dorito. chicken. In, yeah, you gotta leave the the chicken in the Dorito bag to get the the good flavor out. <laughs> Which it's just you know a lot of people if if they've never been to prison they probably can't relate to that and they don't understand that. Me being in the military, not that it was the prison, but me being in the military, uh, when we would be on exercises, we would have to eat MREs, and those MREs, some of them were good, some of them were awful. And you just were like, man, I hope I get a good one today. And you would bust it open, and it'd be like, you know, like chicken tortilla soup and you're like all right yeah but god help you if you got the lasagna man if you got the lasagna or the ravioli man that ravioli's been sitting there for like years decades and you gotta break open this little this so it's like this little pack right they give you this little pack and you gotta open it up and put pour water into it and it and it heats up um it like it has like these chemicals in it and it heats up and then you just put your meal against that and it heats up the the meal pack and you got to do that for like maybe three or four minutes and it heats up your food and then you open it up and you eat your food. Um, and that's how you heat your food. And it's just, it's all, it's a meal ready to eat and comes in a box and you can still buy them at the commissary, which I'm still to this day. I'm like, who the f- is buying this? Like you should never subject yourself to this kind of torture because these things are awful, but I know a lot of people love them. And God bless them, but oh, they love them. Oh, I thought oh. it was like everybody hated them. And my thing was, no, why are a, why are the lot, people serving this country getting these type of meals? Like a lot of people <laughs> do hate them, but there's a lot of people that do love them too. So it's kind of a, a love hate relationship. Like it's like a two thousand calorie pack because you're out in the middle of nowhere, and and you might be you know low crawling to said place. Like I was in the middle of. Let me let me just say this real quick. <laughs> I was in the middle of Fort Dix, New Jersey. Fort Dix. That's an is actual a, name? Is, is an army is an army base out in New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's Fort Dix. And it's right by McGuire Air Force Base. And we were stuck there for 30 days doing this air advisor course before we went to Iraq. So not only were we gone from our families for eight months, we had to serve an additional extra month in cold ass New Jersey with snow all around it. And we were out in the middle of the field, low crawling through the forest and this mud and all this bullshit. Justin, do you know how many days I was in Iraq where I saw a 
freaking ounce of snow? Zero. Zero. It's the Middle East, man. It was 125 degrees out there. There was no reason for snow. And we're doing we're doing uh driver uh safety training and like learning how to like get out of a getaway in like a cutlass. <laughs> and there's not a cutlass to be seen in Iraq. I'm swerving around cones in snow. There's no snow in Iraq. There's no way if I'm in a cutlass in the middle of Iraq and there's snow, best believe. The world has come to an end. I promise you. And so we're doing these trainings. And it's just, anyway, the MRE and all that stuff kind of reminded me of what he was talking about and the, and the prison food and stuff like that. And it's just, man, that was, that was, a, it was a great documentary. I really liked it a lot. Um, at first, I was like, mm, you know, where are we going with this? And then um, it got really juicy. And just, I think, I think the lesson here, Justin, is that no matter where you are in life, it's always going to be better than prison. You know what I mean? And sometimes I think we're so wrapped up into our own BS that we can't see how good our life or our situation is sometimes. And we take it for granted yeah. and then we lose it all. And and then you're like, and then you look back and you're like, man, I, I had it all right there. I had it all right there. And it's gone. You know yeah. what I mean? And it happens to so many people. And you just wish that they could overcome that kind of stuff and think about it in the moment. And I know you and I have both been guilty of of taking advantage or or, or, or not realizing the greatness of a situation that we might currently be in. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and and not really squeezing every opportunity that we can out of said situation. Um, but yeah. it makes us better as we move forward because when we see those situations again, we try to take advantage of them like we are right now with this podcast. And you get served a slice of humble pie. And that was one thing that Craig Carton was served in prison. When you're talking about the prison food, I was also going to bring up, well, yeah, well, he also got some humble pie too, because this is a guy who was at the top of the radio world, a multi-millionaire. $2 million a year. We get served humble pie all the time. And we just... On the, on the daily. On the daily. <laughs> like we don't, We don't know how great of a situation we have. And I'm definitely, like you said, Saul, guilty of that within this past year. Um, you know, Craig Carton was a guy who was at the top of the radio world making millions of dollars. You get to turn on a mic and serve an audience and make millions of dollars while doing it, talking sports. That is the dream job. That is that is what I have signed up for, and I'm saw I, I'm sure I could speak on the behalf of you. That seems like something that you'd want to do, making millions of dollars talking sports. But we are know, free agents if you're listening out there. Just, just, so just saying, know. just saying, we're worldwide. <laughs> That's it. Prestige, Prestige worldwide, <laughs> wide. But this is a situation where boats and hose. He has. <laughs> he had. He had everything. Yeah. And it all went away because of an addiction. And it wasn't drugs. It wasn't alcohol. It was gambling. And it's not something that can really take a toll on your physical health. But that thrill and just that that rush of winning money and that the, the opportunity to, to stack up your winnings, people live for that. And gambling addiction is definitely a real thing. Craig Carton is a classic example of it. Because he got to a point where he was so arrogant, so cocky that he was the blackjack whisperer. That's what mm -hmm. that's what he what he called himself. And 
he started losing money. So then he started taking out loans and borrowing money and the vicious cycle built up. And then it got to a point where he owed millions of dollars to other people. And that's illegal. And it caught up to him. And that morning when he got up to go to his radio show, he was served a slice of humble pie. He thought it was a fan recognizing him at three o'clock in the morning. But as soon as he saw that badge, his whole life changed after that point. Ain't, and, ain't, no, ain't no fans out there at three o'clock in the morning outside of your apartment complex, bro. There just and if, isn't. And if that's the case, you better call the feds. Because, <laughs> <laughs> but you don't got to because they're right there in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so, we kid, but, we kid. You know, we talked about it earlier uh, with them. Um, Craig uh, is actually um, Craig Carton is actually uh, potentially coming back soon. Uh, he did have an offer um, from the fanatic in Philadelphia. And he also is currently, uh, the rumor is, uh, and this is an article that was published just about seven hours ago, um, he is currently in negotiations to return to WFAN in New York as the afternoon host. Um, so Boomer still there with WFAN. He's still doing his morning show with another sidekick. Um, but Craig Carton could come back to WFAN uh, for the afternoon show. I think um, from what I read, they're negotiating and they could announce it sometime after the documentary airs um, just to make sure that there's no blowback and, and people are cool with it, essentially. And, um, you know, and honestly, Justin, you and I are big proponents of second chances. Um, people make mistakes in life. Uh, it happens and you don't know what's going on in people's lives at, in the moment that they're in them. And you don't know, it's easy for us to Monday morning quarterback and be like, Oh, this guy completely screwed up his life or this girl did this or whatever. You know what I mean? It's easy to do that. But if you take the time to find out what events led from the, from a all the way to Z and you put the whole picture together, you might have a completely different perspective. And I think in this case, um, that it actually is, had come to fruition. You know, the, the molesting when he was a kid at summer camp, um, it manifested in so many different ways as he moved through life and it caught up with him. And that's, that's my biggest takeaway is, is you might underplay your life or you might underplay some of the most um, tragic things that are going on in your life. It doesn't hurt to just talk, talk to somebody, let them know like what has happened and how you feel about it. Um, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you a coward. It doesn't make you, you know, um, sensitive or, or emotional. It's just who you are and what has happened. And it's okay to talk about that and get the help. And I'm glad that it seems like he has gotten that help. Um, at least I hope so. Um, they didn't really talk much about any rehab or anything like that. Um, Prison to a degree can rehab you, um, especially as you reflect on it your, yourself. But, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen something in terms of a rehab, um, you know, assessment after he got out just to make sure that, like, he's OK. And who knows? I'm, I, I'm just speaking out of turn. He could be doing that right now as we speak. Yeah. So I have no idea. But um, I, I, I think if they would have touched that, touched on that in the documentary, that would have been the only thing that I feel like is really missing from the documentary. Yeah, and addicts once once they get a little taste of of what they were addicted to, they fall right back into the rabbit hole. Um, I've seen addict behavior firsthand, not gambling, so to speak. Um, I've seen drug addiction firsthand, and even though they get arrested, 
and go to jail or prison, they get right back into it as soon as they get out. Yeah. And because that's all they know. Fortunately for Craig Carton, he is a very witty, smart, um, intelligent guy who's very aware of his situation. And um, although, like you said, Saul, there, there wasn't really a rehab mention in the documentary. Uh, from my perspective and what I took away from it is that he's ready to begin his second life. Yeah. You know, he, he got out. Uh, they didn't say it was, it was due to COVID. Uh, they just said it, it was good behavior yeah. and, and he was released. And now he's about to begin his second life. And what, what he does with that, that's between him and God. But you know, when you get a second chance and not a lot of people do, you have to make the most out of the situation. So best yeah. of luck to Craig Carton. Hopefully uh, he finds success. Yeah. Especially at that level, you know, uh, getting a second chance at that level doesn't come very often. And so if he yeah. does get that second chance, good for him. And, and yeah. I hope he does. And I hope he, he does everything he possibly can with it and uh, succeeds um, at a high level like he did before. So we'll mm -hmm. see. Anyway, that's the total BS podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell them what, tell, uh, Justin, tell them where they can find us. A uh, big shout out to uh, Marty and Marie for joining us on uh, t today's podcast. Saul, happy International Podcast Day to you. And be sure to subscribe to the Total BS Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also be sure to subscribe to our YouTube account and Twitch so you can watch the Sunday live show and also like us on all social media platforms. Yeah, you get to that YouTube, hit that bell too. Hit that notification button so you know exactly Alarm. when we're coming up live. Yeah, uh, so you know when we're coming on and and how we're doing our business. We'll be back on Sunday with Luke Lipinski um, as we try to tackle what I am sure is going to be something to talk about when it comes to the Lakers in the finals. <laughs> and then we'll recap Sunday's NFL uh, games as long uh, as well as um, a bunch of MLB games that are going on and there's going to be some series that are going to be over actually most of the first round series will be over by that point so uh, a lot to unpack on Sunday please come join us until then we will see you when we see you peace Fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool, it's just a part of this program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You not whack, you just sound whack rapping after us. <laughs>